Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com. And on today's episode of the show, I'm going to present a conversation that I had with author Kyle Buchanan, whose new book is out today. It is called Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, The Wild and True Story of Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, I want to apologize up top. The audio quality for this interview is not great. I recorded it a little bit too close to my computer and evidently a recorder and electronic equipment nearby. That's a bad mixture. So there are a lot of little digital blips throughout this thing. If it's too distracting, if you can't listen to it, I do not begrudge you if you just want to skip this entirely and we'll talk to you tomorrow. It's a daily podcast. Uh, I have linked in the show notes the transcript of this. If you want to read the whole thing, if the audio just drives you nuts, if you want to read the whole thing, I encourage you to do that. I also encourage you to click on the link to the uh, article in the show notes because there's also an excerpt from the book that uh, the publisher actually gave us permission to uh, repurpose uh, on slashfilm.com. So you'll actually get a flavor for what Kyle's book is really like. Um, this book is really great. It's an oral history book, so you get a little bit of Kyle's uh, perspective in it as he sort of provides context and sets up what each chapter is going to be. But a huge percentage of the book, a majority of the book, is told in the words of the people who were actually there, uh, whether it was tracing the movie all the way back from its inception point or the truly, truly insane shoot that it had out in the Namibian desert. These people were there and their stories are incredible and Kyle did an excellent job compiling all of this together. And I, I truly believe that the making of this movie is just as interesting, if not maybe even more compelling than the story, the narrative of Mad Max Fury Road. So uh, Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, The Wild and True Story of Mad Max Fury Road is the name of the book. It is in stores right now. Again, I apologize about the audio quality, but here is my conversation with author Kyle Buchanan. As somebody who has read a bunch of oral histories, uh, I, I kind of start to notice things when you read one. You know, there, there's like, oh, the, the interviewer clearly only had a few minutes with this person because they only address <laughs> a very specific topic and then that person doesn't right. contribute again. That's really not the case in your book. You talk to so many people and a ton of those names come up over and over across the entire story. So sort of on a practical level, how did you go about conducting these interviews? 
you know, it was the double-edged sword of doing this book in the pre-vax time before the pandemic. Because, you know, if you could have uh, just... If I could have done things the way I would have preferred, you know, it would have been pre-pandemic and I would have flown to Australia and I could have gone through people's old boxes and gone out to lunch with all the key players. Mm -hmm. That was not going to happen at that point in time. But the upside of that is that I could fit in so many more interviews in a day. I could, you know, do a, a phone call with somebody who's in Los Angeles in the morning, uh, in the afternoon, uh, somebody who's in London, and then in the evening and into the night, talk to Australians and Kiwis. And, you know, also because it was the pre-vax part of the pandemic, I did not have a robust uh, life like I was used to. I was at home. I was looking for ways to distract myself. And let me tell you, writing a book is a great way to distract yourself. (laughs) So, yeah, my productivity during that time kind of shot through the roof. And, And I'll say this also. There's something about the experience of making Fury Road that doesn't... That, that makes people want to talk to you about it. They don't want to just give you 10 minutes because they know it wouldn't do that experience justice. So even when you're dealing with somebody like, you know, Charlize Theron or Zoe Kravitz or Riley Keough, who, you know, obviously have very busy lives and are in demand for all sorts of things, let alone interviews, they want to stay on the line with you. They want to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases... This is the first time they've really gone deep talking about it with journalists, you know, with members of their own family or their friends. They've been telling these stories for a long time. But this, but something about, you know, the amount of time that has elapsed since the movie was shot, it was just that sort of perfect time to get people to really open up. And, you know, I I was really fortunate that they were willing to to give me all that time. I think a lot of them felt very compelled that if they were going to speak on the record this thoroughly for the first time, they were going to give me that access. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so glad that it worked out that way. Yeah, me too. Um, so I, I've actually put together a handful of little oral histories myself, and something that, that always happens to me is that there's like a, a story or two that's really good, but it just doesn't quite fit in the, in the narrative that I'm trying to tell. So I'm curious if that happened to you here, or were you actually able to fit everything in because this book is so exhaustive and covers every aspect of the movie over so many years? It's a good question because honestly, there was a lot that I couldn't fit in. Um, You know, ultimately, once you start uh, shaping a book like this, you realize that it has its own narrative. And much like a movie, there are things that are going to get lost because they're not necessarily sort of advancing the narrative. A good example of that is I spoke to the screenwriter, John Colley, who was... uh, one of the writers on this project he's not in the book he was a delight to talk to um because he came in kind of in that fallow period uh in between the movie falling away at fox with mel gibson and it being uh revived in at warner brothers which is the incarnation that we know and in that period john came on he's, he's a fantastic writer wrote master and commander and george asked him okay 
You see all these storyboards. Can you actually whip these together into a conventional screenplay? And he was like, okay, you know what? I'll try. And he wrote a conventional screenplay based on those storyboards. Uh, I don't know if it was just to sort of relieve uh, studio executives Mm -hmm. uh, or what, but it really never got used because even though, you know, George Miller had had, uh, wanted John to do this, he already had the vision of the movie in his mind, and it just was a more specific vision that needed the detail of those storyboards. So that's what they ultimately relied on, not that screenplay. But John was kind enough to send me that screenplay, and it's kind of a kick to read a really well-written version of what we know from those images and, and what George saw in those images. Wow, yeah, that's cool. Uh, I, I've been following you on Twitter for years, so I know that you're a fan of, of Fury Road yourself, and I know that you like you know knew a great deal about this movie before embarking on this project so is is there something that um you were surprised to learn about while putting this book together well there were a lot of people who worked on this movie that had never talked about it that i didn't know about uh you know the writer kelly marcel who works with tom hardy all the time she's never given an interview acknowledging that she was an on-set writer um you know we think we know who the writers are the credited ones and so often turns out in hollywood that there are other people who were involved um you know uh, even at the beginning of this process uh the fact that a lot of it spun out of a failed attempt to mount Mad Max as a syndicated TV show. And that originally, George was working on the Fury Road concept with Eric Blakeney, who was, you know, a, a, a writer and producer on 21 Jump Street. Um, it's fascinating for me to see some of the things that kind of got brushed away as an official narrative of the film um, was mounted. Um, but, you know, also, to be honest with you, what was just exciting for me was just to talk to people who don't normally give interviews, not because um, of any sort of subterfuge, but because they're uh, people who work on the crew, you know, to be able to talk to a visual effects data wrangler uh, like uh, Toast Yadav, who has the most incredible day one making of the movie story. That's what I wanted to zero in on because what I found the more I dug into Fury Road is that this is an incredible movie that is obviously the product of a visionary, but amongst visionaries, he's very uncommon in how collaborative he is. And I think you get that impression as you read it. He really seeks out these sort of like trusted lieutenants or these people in artistic fields that have a point of view very different than his own, and he wants to imbue the movie with their perspective. So you have somebody like Eve Ensler coming on board to educate the actresses who played the wives about sexual slavery. And you have, you know, people whose contributions are, are even less known and visible. Um, you know, like the people who would train the war boys uh, and teach them uh, improv exercises to kind of improve their fervor. And you don't always know about those things, but you can sense it. It's such a dense movie. It feels like there's more going on beyond the borders of the frame. So it was very exciting to track down all of these people and hear their stories because there's not a single person who worked on Fury Road. And I can say this pretty confidently having interviewed, you know, uh, 135 of them. There's not a single person who doesn't have incredible stories about the making of that movie because there just wasn't ever a 
time making of the movie quite like that one. Yeah, man, the the specificity that's on display in this film is like unreal. I mean, like like you're mentioning some of this stuff you might not know about, but you can definitely feel it. It's sort of reading your book actually kind of reminded me of the experience of watching the um like the special like the bonus features on the Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of has that vibe to it. So. Um, yeah, or just, you know, I remember the very first time I watched it, and it's a really incredible visceral movie, so that's, you know, that's paramount. But there were also just such small things that go by in a flash where you're like, wait, 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 I want to know more about that, because it's so clearly worked out, you know? This is not, I, I think it makes you realize that for all the uh, incredible people who work on, you know, most of our action blockbusters, some of these ideas are just skin deep. And it's not the, the same with Fury Road. There's a really deceptively simple present premise, but underneath that and, you know, underpinning every visual you see is so much thought. And it's incredible to get to dig into that as an author because there literally are stories behind almost everything you could point to in that movie. Yeah. Both stories on and off screen, you know, stories that that uh, reveal character and ideas uh, and also stories of just the making of those images. Yeah. I'm not going to give anything away, but one thing that I really loved about reading the book also was finally hearing about exactly why uh, Charlize and Tom Hardy didn't get along during the filming. There have been so many, you know, little whispers that have then been aggregated a billion times over, but your book actually gets into the mentalities that they had and like the, the specific reasons that they clashed. So I loved like the, the specificity of that too, you know, the, this thing that sort of had been swirling around with stories of these movies. This, this book sort of cuts through all that and actually gets to the real heart of it. And, you know, I think that's one of the advantages to the oral history format, because this is obviously something that anybody who worked on that set had their own theories about, witnessed certain things about. And I think definitely Charlize and Tom, this many years out, have their own perspectives on what went down and how maybe both of them could have, you know, averted it. Um so the truth lies somewhere in the middle and to be able to give so much uh space to everybody to tell their sides of that story what was the issue why did they just not get along and and what happened on set that sort of sent them spinning in opposite directions yeah definitely how different is the final version of this book from your first draft? You mentioned like the the narrative that you wanted to tell. Um, did that change a lot over the course of writing the book? Hmm. Um, you know what? I mean, ultimately not that different. It's a process, especially when you're doing an oral history of cutting things down, which is, you know, an advantageous place to be rather than, you know, having to, uh, to create when there's nothing there, mm -hmm. uh, to have a, a surplus of good shit is, uh, <laughs> is way more preferable. Um, so it's just about carving it down and finding like, what's the spine, what's the backbone of this thing, you know, um, there are, because of that, all these fun little tangents that maybe didn't make their way into the book, but you know, it's kind of like when filmmakers were uh, were making movies at the height of the DVD boom, and I think they maybe felt a little bit um, 
more willing to cut their favorite scenes because they knew they could put them on the DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, same here. There were stories that you know I that uh, killed me to have to lose because I found them so uh, charming or insightful, or there was just a damn good juicy quote. But I know that I can just keep those out, and uh, and so the book just had to be what the book had to be. You know, you're, you're finding. The narrative spine of the book in the same way that in post-production they tinkered with it and found the spine of a theory road. Yeah. Um, so sometimes doing such an intense dive into a project can kind of put you off the subject for a little while afterwards. So are you sick of Fury Road right now? No, this is the best part. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I mean, also, sometimes when you read an oral history or any book about the making of something, when you go back and you revisit it, it kind of trumps everything. Sometimes I think to the detriment of both the book and the project. And I'm so happy to at least reported my own case that has not happened you know i rewatched the movie i mean i've seen it a zillion times but i think it had been sort of on ice for me these last several months and then i rewatched it again just a few weeks ago with friends who hadn't seen it and wanted to see it before the book comes out and yeah from the jump it is so incredibly visceral and involving that even me even the guy who literally wrote the book on fury road got swept up in it as though I was a first-time viewer again. I wasn't thinking about, like, oh, let me pause it and tell this story about, you know, or this anecdote. I was just thinking, like, oh, my God, I hope they make it, you know? that's <laughs> It's an incredible movie to be able to withstand so much scrutiny, and yet you still find yourself lost in it. And it's also an incredible movie from an author perspective just because I never got tired of talking to people about it. Uh, People's stories were so fascinating because the movie is that deep, because the movie does reward your interest. Uh, I think there are a few movies, certainly very few um, movies in that genre, where the more you look at it, the more you investigate it, the more it rewards you. Yeah. Well, uh, man, Kyle, just congratulations on the book because you, uh, I feel like it's a real it's a real achievement to be able to wrangle all of these stories together. And it's so cool that like, um, you know, a majority of the people that were involved with this are like still with us. And like, you know, that's the, the cool part about the oral history is hearing from these people in their own words. But it takes a special type of uh, of um, uh, like an extra level of talent to be able to like put this to- together in a coherent thing. And I think it's done really, really well in this book. So. Um, well, that's very kind of you to say, and I'm excited to hear that and to have it be coming out, because like I said, I, I wrote this in the, I mean, you know, the bulk of it in the pre-vaxxed part of the pandemic, and I'm not used to having to wait so long, you know, that's how it works in publishing, <laughs> in book publishing, but in uh, in uh, modern journalism, you write something and it's up either that day or within the week, so yeah. I'm so excited for Mad Max fans to be able to read it and, you know, learn things that I've been dying to tell them for a year. Um, but then also just, I don't, I, you know, I hope that um, people who maybe are just casual fans of the movie or, or maybe don't even know anything about it can find it because I've always loved books about the making of a movie. I mean, two of my favorites are uh, uh, Monster, John Gregory Dunn's book about uh, the making of Up Close and Personal. And um, The Devil's Candy, the Julie Solomon book about Bonfire of the Vanities. And the only uh, sticking point for me with with most of these books is that they're 
incredibly juicy books about the making of bad movies, uh, which isn't necessarily even a sticking point, but I'm excited to present uh, a really juicy book about the making of a masterpiece, because I, I think those are maybe uh, more scarce. Hopefully you all enjoyed that. You can find more about Mad Max Fury Road, of course, at SlashFilm.com. And again, I encourage you to click on the link to the article in the show notes to read the excerpt for yourselves. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.